welcome to Forces of Nature, the podcast from WWF, where we celebrate our 60th anniversary by bringing together trailblazing environmental activists from different generations to discover how we can learn from the past and achieve even more in the future. I'm Susanna Birkwood. This episode, we're bringing together Princess Esmeralda of Belgium and Indigenous climate activist Martina Fjellberg. As well as being a member of the Belgian royal family, Esmeralda has had a successful career as a journalist, writer and documentary maker and is a passionate campaigner for both the environment and indigenous rights. Perhaps unusually for a princess, Esmeralda was arrested after taking part in the Extinction Rebellion climate protests in London in 2019, but thankfully she was later released without charge. Martina Fjellberg is a 22-year-old Sami reindeer herder from a village in northern Sweden. The indigenous community she's from has seen its whole way of life threatened by climate change, so Martina is determined to help put an end to the climate crisis and fight for her culture. She's currently studying for a degree in biology and geoscience, with the hope of devoting her career to safeguarding the survival of both nature and the Sami culture. Together, Esmeralda and Martina discuss the challenges many Indigenous people face in getting their views on environmental matters heard, the mental health impacts of climate change, and what it was like to be a princess ending up on the wrong side of the law. I hope you enjoy the episode and you'll hear more from me at the end. Hello Martina, it's so nice to to be able to talk to you. There's so many questions I want to ask. So today, I guess we are going to speak a lot about uh, weather patterns and climate and, and the situation. But first, I would like to know a bit more about yourself. And um, I would like to know what it is to be a reindeer herder. Yeah, so uh, reindeer herding is a big part of the Sami culture. But it's only about, I think, about 10% of the Sami people are reindeer herders. But it's still a really, really key part of uh, our culture and a lot of things evolves around it. I grew up in a reindeer herding family. My father and my two sisters are also reindeer herders. And it's quite uh, different from anything else. Like when you have cattle, for example, they are in an enclosure. But reindeers are free-roaming animals, so they're, you could say they're semi-domesticated because they're still wild, but they are still in some ways used to humans. So most of the year they just roam around free, and we as reindeer herders try to kind of keep them in our designated areas that we have used for thousands and thousands of years. And they, these areas are really huge. They uh, cover a really large area. But for Miro, for example, there's these big uh, gatherings. Uh, one of the big gatherings is in the summer uh, when we mark the new reindeer calves because the reindeer calves are born in May. So during uh, the middle the beginning of summer, we mark the reindeer calves. So then we gather the whole reindeer herd and put them in this huge fenced area and then we take them out in smaller groups and mark the reindeer calves. And then it's like the best part of the whole year and it's something that you look forward to. It really is my my favorite part of the whole year. 
I can see it's really important for you. And you mentioned it's part of your culture too. So I was wondering, did you notice a, a change uh, and uh, the climate change affecting uh, uh, especially this uh, reindeer herding? Because of climate change now, because of it getting colder in the summer, we actually have seen that we have the need for uh, another reindeer calf marking area because now the reindeer doesn't move as far up the mountains because it's not warm enough during the summer because the reindeers move up the mountains when it's warm because they want to escape from the heat. And so they go up to these snowy, windy patches up on the treeless areas of the mountains. And now because of climate change, the reindeer doesn't move as much far up the mountains. And one of the other things that uh, my father says is the thing that he noticed the most about what's have changed is that now you can't you can't plan the reindeer herding as you used to because uh, back in the day you could see in the weather you could see from the nature that tomorrow is going to be like this and the next week it's going to be like that so we could plan in advance what we're going to do but now, because the weather is shifting so much because of climate change, we can't plan in the same way that you used to be able to do. You don't know how it's going to look the next week. Do you think that the indigenous people who are really on the ground and see and so much in contact with nature and with the animals' behavior, do you think that they have um, notion, observations that are different from non-indigenous people? Yeah, I definitely think so because like it's so real to us in a way that it isn't to a lot of other people because most indigenous people, our culture and our lives and everything is so deeply connected to nature. So when nature is changing, we our culture is something that's so connected with it also changes in some ways. As an example in the Sami culture, we have over 200 words for snow. And if really? it's really, yeah, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of words for snow because as the language is a part of a culture and language in itself is also then connected to nature. Uh, so we have over 200 words for snow. And with the changing climate, we could say maybe. 50 types of these types of snow doesn't exist anymore and doesn't fall or something like that, then in that way we also lose language because of climate change and then in that way we then lose culture. So it's like, it's so much more than just losing ice, it's so much more that that's connected to it as well. And reindeer herding is one of the big things that uh, because I'm, as a reindeer herder, is really affected by it. So I can say a lot of examples of how reindeer herding is affected in smaller ways, but in the future it's going to be even more affected than it already is. But despite that, uh, we might say that science has not recognized that uh, indigenous knowledge. And you, did you have the feeling you had to go to university to become, let's say, legitimate in your action for for nature and for climate? In Sweden, at least, uh, how I have seen it, it's 
you have to be a professor or you have to be a researcher or something, a scientist to be able to say this is a fact or this is something that's changing. We as an indigenous people in Sweden, we, I don't feel that we are being taken as seriously as scientists or professors because we are not educated in the same way that they are. So I made a choice to start go to university and get a degree so I can be more respected in Sweden. So when I say I can see this change in a culture, I can see this change in radio herding, this is real, I will be taken seriously. And did it change your perspective and and your voice also? Uh, I hope so. Uh, when I get my bachelor's degree, I can kind of connect the my background of being a reindeer herder and being indigenous people and the more science world that I can be like kind of a bridge between those two and at least in Sweden bring them together so that more people understand the link that is between the knowledge that we have and the nature and some things that are actually they are more science and that indigenous people have known these things for centuries because when you live with nature you kind of understand it in a different way and that knowledge is something that really should be taken seriously and be taken into account when you do all of these different reports and all of these different studies and such. I think it's slowly starting to to be part of the conversation And for example, there's a scientist in Brazil. Uh, you may have heard of him. He's called Carlos Nobre. He's a, a meteorologist. And he said many times that he was impressed by the knowledge of the indigenous people in the Amazon because they had understood the link between plant and the water cycle. And he said that's something they have understood probably long before us for generation. And uh, we are studying it now, the fact that the, the reduction in forest causes a reduction in the, in the rain and the, the water cycle. So I think it, it's something really that is so complementary, the, the modern science and the indigenous knowledge. So hopefully that will be part now of, uh, of really the, the, the conversation. What about conservation? Because conservation has not always worked with indigenous people and sometimes there has been confrontation. And I would like to know what is your point of view? How do you, do you feel would be the best way to, to work on conservation projects? I think the biggest point that you should take when doing conservation work is to include the indigenous people that live there and also that they are the ones that should be leading the work in a way because we are the ones who know the nature the best. Uh, so I think the biggest thing uh, when doing conservation work is to include the indigenous people in a way that isn't just listening to them but also letting us lead and actually make decisions on what should be done because otherwise we're still left on the side. We know that maybe this area is really important for when the reindeers have their reindeer calves, for example. So we know how important that is and how 
important it is for that area to be maybe left totally left alone during uh, a certain period of the year. But uh, I know f- that it's really hard, especially in Sweden. So it's really hard for us to kind of get a say in what's happening because we don't have the rights to our own land in Sweden, which is something that I'm uh, really hoping that we get in the future because we have the rights to our land. But still in Sweden, uh, the Sami people isn't, we don't have our rights as an indigenous people. So we don't have a rights to our land. So every decision that, that is made uh, isn't by us. Uh, we have a say in the matter, but we don't have the uh, final decision of what is going to happen with our area. Uh, but now, Esmeralda, uh, I'd like to ask you some questions. I'm really interested in why you got involved in environmental uh, work and what uh, inspired you to get involved in the environmental movement. Well, we have to go back to a long time ago when I was a child because my father had a passion for nature and he really traveled the world. And uh, at the time... Nobody was talking about climate change, but biodiversity was already threatened in many places. So he was talking to me about his trips, about the importance of nature, about the importance of uh, conservation. And always he said to me, the best custodians of Mother Nature are the indigenous people. So I really was brought up with this notion And I was following from far away his trips. I was looking at the pictures he would bring back and the stories he would tell me about indigenous culture in, uh, in the Amazon, but also in Africa and also in, uh, in Asia. So I guess it's something I always had in, in my mind, those stories and those principles that we had to respect the, the knowledge and the rights of uh, indigenous people. Have you ever... Uh, visited an indigenous people and uh, seen their way of life or something like that? Yeah, I met many, many communities, uh, sometimes in their countries, sometimes in Europe when they were traveling to different conferences. And I was uh, always struck by exactly what you said before, that the message is the same. Whether you speak to someone in the Amazon or in uh, in Congo or in uh, I'm talking to you right now uh, in Sweden. It's the same message, that deep connection with nature, that knowledge, the fact that everything is is connected and um, that you cannot uh, do something to to break the, the balance. Everything is so beautifully balanced in nature and you have to know about that. And especially you have to know that we are part of nature and not the master trying to to dominate that's the most difficult i think for us what's one of your like strongest memories that you have from uh, meeting with indigenous people one very strong memory and i also want to ask you this question was with a, a young woman from uh, from ecuador who was telling me about the problem in their lands, once again, about the mining companies coming and destroying all the environment, poisoning the rivers and the, and the earth, but also 
attacking the women. Because when a company comes, there's a lot of workers, they stay for months. Usually they bring uh, uh, alcohol to the villages and it goes with sexual violence against uh, the indigenous women. And I was so touched because she said that it, it was terrible to see that Mother Earth was violated and in the same time, the women. And they had that so strong connection between the two. So I want to ask you a question, which is, do you think that there is a special link for women and indigenous women, especially to protect uh, Mother Earth? Well, I still think that indigenous people overall have this huge urge to protect the land and protect Mother Nature more than maybe an ordinary person from Sweden, because our lives are more connected with nature than most other people's are. So that's why indigenous people overall tend to have a more stronger feeling to be involved in the environmental movement, for example. And now yourself, you have been several times in, in conferences and in meetings with uh, different organizations. Do you feel that... Um, you are being taken seriously, that people are listening now to, to your voice and to the voice of your community? Uh, when I do uh, stuff like that, I think uh, I get more listened to. Uh, but I still get a lot of... I don't want to call questions stupid, but some questions really are stupid uh, and kind of ignorant in some ways. And a lot of the times I have to ask, answer questions that really could just be Googled or something like that. And I feel like that in some ways isn't their fault because for, especially in Sweden, you you don't get to learn anything about Sami people in, in school. It's, it's ridiculous how little you learn about Sami people in the Swedish schools. I think that because of this lack of knowledge, there's a lot more racism towards Sami people in Sweden. And if we just got to learn more about some people in school, there's a lot of problems that would be easier to solve in the future if we started in the school. Have you yourself suffered from uh, discrimination? In different ways, in different, uh, in different occasions. Racism towards some people is a big problem in Sweden. Uh, and I think reindeer herders are one of the groups from the some people that are more they are in some ways easier to like target because we have the reindeer as a such a uh, symbol so there's for example i know in uh, there's a lot of uh, poaching on reindeers in sweden because there's a lot of people that hate some people and then because the reindeer is such an iconic symbol for reindeer herders and some people they kill the reindeer to make a statement that they don't like some people. And so for reindeer herders, there's a lot of uh, mental health issues because of this. And I also know that uh, the suicide rate for some people is a lot higher than it is for national average because of the fact that we are so easily targeted and because of the fact that we have so many obstacles that we have to overcome to to be 
uh, Asami people, and especially reindeer herders. And the reindeer herders also have the the big weight of climate change affecting our lives and our culture as well. So uh, mental health is something that's really important as well to discuss in when you talk about climate change, because the climate change is affecting in that way not only the culture, it's also affecting our well-being, uh, because it's just another problem to add on her long list of problems that we have to deal with on a daily basis as reindeer herders. Yes, it's so true. I mean, climate change uh, affects so many things. I mean, mental health, of course, is something very important and, and the basic human rights of so many indigenous people. Uh, so, uh, Esmeralda, you were arrested as a part of the Extinction Rebellion protest in London in 2019. And what was that like? Was it something that you were prepared for? Yeah, absolutely. We were, well, we were thousands in London protesting for a whole week, two weeks actually, because we were sitting on the pavement in a, in a big square in London. And so we were stopping the, the traffic, literally. So the police said, you have a, a few minutes to get up. And if you don't, you risk an arrest. So we knew what was coming. And we were absolutely convinced that we should go until the end, which is be ready to be arrested. So our message was stronger. Uh, you have to, to be able to go to the end of your beliefs. And if you really believe that the climate breakdown is an existential crisis, that the loss of biodiversity is a catastrophe, well, you have to raise that awareness and you have to be ready to, to go to the end of the, of the protest. And, and that was my, my aim. I have to say that it's much easier to be arrested in London than to be arrested in other countries in the world where uh, the, the system is not so um, democratic and also if you risk losing a, a job or, or many other things. So I'm privileged because I could do it, but I was absolutely uh, um, decided to make the point. Was it anything you have, would have done differently when you think about it in retrospect? No, nothing. I think it was a, uh, it had a big impact, not specifically my arrest, but the fact that thousands of people were arrested because it was constantly on the news. And I suppose that people who had no interest in the, in the climate crisis got in the attention. And I remember speaking to a taxi driver one day who said to me, I had never realized that it was so, so bad, the climate crisis. Why? Because he read in, his, in the newspaper that he, he reads every day about this big movement. And so I think it had a, an impact. Yeah, I think, I think so as well, because I remember when I, I saw it on the news as well, and I was thinking like, damn, those people are really cool, uh, because... It's something that made a big impact. And even though you, you should never say being arrested to, to, was cool, but I thought it was because I was like, these people are really, really f felt a lot for uh, this movement and really felt like 
it was worth being arrested for just to make a statement. Uh, so I really respect you for doing that. Civil disobedience all through history has had a big impact. If it's non-violent but determined, it has a big impact and it has changed things throughout uh, history. Because I always say to people who say, how can you be against the law? I said, if the law is not right, of course you have to denounce it. That was the case for slavery. It was the case for the fact that women didn't have the right to vote. It was the case in South Africa with apartheid. All those cases were legal, but they were wrong. And you have yeah. to be able to denounce it. I totally agree with you. And I think the people that have done the most change in the world aren't the people who have done what everyone else did. Uh, it's the people who have done something different that have made the biggest change. What do you think is the most urgent thing that we should tackle for the moment, that the young people should uh, mobilize for, and everybody, not only the young people? That's a really good question. For me, I would like to see that more people actually start taking this seriously. It's not some abstract concept. Climate change is not an abstract concept. It's a fact that nature is changing and that should be taken seriously. Especially for uh, indigenous people, when you see it so... Like right now in your life, you can see a change. But we are a minority and the majority of people doesn't see this change right now, this real change. So for a lot of people, it's more of an abstract thing that is going to affect them in the future. It's not a problem that they should be worried about today. But I think uh, that a lot of young people, actually, for them, it's more it's more real in the fact that even though they them personally don't see it today, they know that it's going to be a future problem. And the future is for us, there's a lot of uh, older people that they think, no, it's not a problem, it's a problem for the future, so they don't think about it because they are not going to be here in the future. But we young people are, and that's why I think there's a lot of young people joining the environmental movement today because they have realized and they know that this is going to be catastrophic if we don't fix it now, because otherwise the future will be uh, paying the price. Yeah, and the leaders don't seem to, our governments, our leaders in the world don't seem to, to treat that as an emergency. No, they don't. But I think, because you have been a part of the environmental movement for a long time, uh, have the environmental movement changed a lot the past few decades or is it something that just happened overnight or how do you see the... No, obviously uh, there were people fighting already in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s. I mean, it's a long marathon. What has really changed, I think, is that in the last 10 years, because of the young people, especially because of the young, it has become much more uh, in the news. But I still think that it's going too slowly. You just said it. It's it's happening. Uh, so when people talk about 2050, my God, it's too far away. We have to act now. People are already dying. 
all over the world and especially in the in the global south so that's what i see and sometimes it makes me very uh, very sad i have to say is there some things that uh, you think the environmental movement has gotten wrong the past few decades is something that we should have done differently or maybe something that we did we got right so it's having a positive impact i think we had a lot of um, of people against us they are still there i mean the the lobbyists of the big fossil fuel companies are enormously powerful and they were so powerful that they managed to to stop the news to stop the the real effect of urgency and they are still trying hard to block many things also i think that probably there was too much emphasis on the fact that the the nature was dying that the, the animals were disappearing which is true and the extinction is is very serious but there was not enough emphasis on the fact that we as a species are probably very threatened because of this all unbalance and because of climate breakdown so i think maybe in the the way it was talked about it was not enough on the on the human part the human rights the the human cost of this crisis that's what i think but now the discourse is much more inclusive and and we see all the problems and and you know uh, to communicate the urgency to different people and it's not always easy because some people say oh yes i know it's terrible but i don't want to hear it or no i don't believe it's not so important so you have to have a, a conversation you have to talk to people even if they don't share your perspective and try to convince them do you do you feel that too when you you speak to some of of your friends sometimes they are not as convinced as you are uh, no i think i have i've been lucky with my uh, surrounding for especially now when i went uh, when i studied at the university my classmates and my friends they're really uh, understanding and they actually understand quite more than i thought they would that how important it is for me as an indigenous people and how linked my culture and my life is to nature but i have come across a lot of people that i feel like don't take me seriously just based on the fact that i am a sami because they still have this a way of thinking that we as some people we are not as smart or we're not as educated as normal people which is something that's still here because of uh, when we were colonized and the way that you saw some people a couple of decades ago it's not even that long ago but i still try to calmly talk to these people and try to make them understand that how that's not the case and how we as a some people is being affected by climate change and a lot of the other different things so i think the hard part is not going to be talking to people that understand and trying to make them take action in climate change the hard part is going to be talking to people that profit of destroying nature like big mining companies and other exploiters uh, that's the hard part they're going to be 
how we can convince them that nature is more important than money. I think it's possible if uh, if people enough people rally and and work together and act together we can have an impact. Yeah, we have the power in numbers and if more people start to openly take action and take a stand then we are going to be able to make more change because governments won't listen to a couple hundred people but they will listen to a couple of thousand people so i think we have the power in standing up with each other and supporting each other globally as well and that's one of the things that i have uh, i feel really happy about because uh, uh, between indigenous people we have this connection with each other it's like we are sisters and brothers so when there's a community another indigenous community that's uh, having to deal with maybe a mining company or something like that we uh, all will feel this connection together so it's equally as important for me that how their lives are being affected because I feel it's like a brother and sister relationship. I feel because my brother is hurting, I want to help him. I want to be there and support him as well. So I really feel that when there is something that's happening for the Sami people in Sweden, I feel like my brothers and sisters from other indigenous communities will back me up as well. Uh, because we have this understanding of how deeply we are connected to nature. So they understand how important it is for us to have this support and have this help because they have the same values as we do. Is it what gives you hope for the future? Uh, it's one of the things I would say. Uh, I think when I meet with other indigenous people and we get to have these conversations about uh, how the environment is changing and uh, how we value nature, that's when I feel like I have the most energy to fight uh, this fight. I get this fighter energy when I have these meetings because then I'm like, yeah, it's not only me against the world, it's us. And I feel like I have my indigenous sisters and brothers behind my back when I do this because they support me and I support them. That's a beautiful message. It gives me hope to listen to you and to see your, your passion and your determination. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Martina. That was a, an inspiring conversation. It was lovely to meet you. And I hope we can meet face to face one day. And I wish you all the best for you and for your whole community and for indigenous rights to be fully recognized. I w I'm really happy to have had this conversation with you. It was really uh, nice. And I also want to say thank you for being an indigenous ally and uh, listening to us and helping us uh, get heard. I really appreciate it. And I feel like you uh, are a really... Uh, 
a really nice person to have behind my back as well. So thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks so much to Martina Fjellberg and Princess Esmeralda of Belgium. How fascinating was it to hear about Princess Esmeralda's experience of being arrested? And I've always thought it was amazing that certain communities have so many different words for snow. But how terrible and worrying to hear that this is yet another impact of climate change. The fact that many of those words are now disappearing. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you subscribe and don't forget to drop us a review or a rating on your podcast app. We'd really, really appreciate it. For more conservation conversations, check out panda.org forward slash forces of nature. This was a fresh air production for WWF. Thank you very much for listening. This is the third and final episode for the time being, but we hope to be back with more episodes for you to enjoy very soon. Until then, remember, we can all be forces of nature. Goodbye for now.